Well, we're in a series entitled Build, and uh, what we're talking about is how Jesus builds his church based on his promise in Matthew chapter 16. And we're looking now at gifts of grace. I'm going to spend the next several weeks on gifts of grace, and I want to begin this morning by talking about leading gifts. And so if you will, go with me to the fourth chapter of the letter of Ephesians, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 7 and verses 11 through 16, and I invite you to read along as I read aloud. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is only one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Then down in verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ." from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. May God bless the reading, the hearing, the understanding, and the obeying of his word today. Today I want to begin looking at gifts of grace As an extension of what we talked about last week when I preached on the priesthood of every believer, I talked about three essential roles that every Christian has as a nation of priests unto God. And the first one was that we're chosen for worship. The second is that we are commissioned for intercession in the world to be God's ambassadors to the world. And the third, I said, we're charismaed for ministry. And I told you I would explain that word charisma more next week. Well, that's what this sermon begins to talk about. What does it mean for us to be charisma for ministry? And I'm speaking to us as a whole church, but also to each individual Christian that is part of the whole. What Ephesians 4 does is it provides a framework within which all who are part of the church are equipped to serve for ministry that each person in the church might grow and grow up into full maturity, as we'll see by the end of the message. And what I want you to understand today is simply this, that God, or excuse me, Jesus builds his church by grace as he gifts and equips each person to serve and grow to full maturity. Listen, friends, don't ever think that half-grown is ever part of God's will for your life, right? I can't think of one nice, 
compliment that anyone could say in the world about an adult who's half grown. Can you? Right? And that's not how God feels about you either. Now, some of you feel like you're not as mature in the faith as maybe you should be. Well, welcome to the crowd. We all feel that way at times. But I want you to know that where God has you and what he's doing in you is critical, not just for you, but for the whole church. And that's the important part of this message today. I want us to see four convictions from this passage in Ephesians by which we as a church in holding those convictions are guided in understanding how Jesus builds his church by grace. And the first conviction that I want to start with today is found in the first seven verses of Ephesians 4. It's simply this, that the aim of God's grace is to build his body. The purpose of God's grace is to build his body. Ephesians 4 begins with this this high and holy call for us to walk in a manner that is worthy of our calling in Jesus Christ. This isn't the only place in the New Testament that Paul uses this phrase, but every time he uses it, he's saying to us that the way a Christian lives their life should be in accord to what Christ has done for us. In other words, our understanding should translate into our obedience. That's what he's teaching us here. And so according to what Christ has done for us in salvation brings the activity of our Christian life into alignment with the true identity of our life as Christians. In other words, what Jesus says in the Bible about you, Christian, he wants it to be true of you in the way that you live. And the reason that he bestows his grace upon you in salvation is so that you can live as he has called you to live. That's what Paul is teaching us here. Christians live according to God's grace by which he has saved us and given us eternal life. And so this aim of grace in the Christian life is that we would be one. Our beliefs and our convictions would align with our actions. Do you know what you call that? Integrity. People of integrity are people we look to with with high accolades, do we not? At least a lot of affirmation and respect in that regard. And what he is wanting us to do is to understand how it is that God has brought his grace to us and what that grace is for in us so that we can be integritous Christians. That what we understand is true about our lives would determine and guide the way we live those lives out every day in obedience to Jesus. You see, what we know about God too often, more than not, becomes stagnant information. In an age when educationalism and intellectualism hold high value, and I'm not against either one of those, but the problem is the way too often it gets interpreted and used in the church is we think the more we know about God, the better off we are before God. And that's not true, friends. For God wants us to bring into full alignment our obedience according to our knowledge and be people, Christians, of integrity in the way that we live by grace through faith. You see, the reason that it's different for us as Christians is because what we understand about God is not just stagnant information, but it's living truth. 
We talked about this in the revelation of God in Hebrews, that that the word of God is is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It works in us in a way no other information can work with us because when the word of God's truth comes to us, the spirit of God brings his light within us to apply it and to show us where it is that he wants to walk with us and then to give us the faith to trust him in that relationship to live it out. And so when he says that this is not stagnant information but living truth, it's transformational truth. We're called to walk in holiness as he is holy, the Bible says. So God, God's leading us by his grace through faith to live as he is holy. And as he is one, we saw that in the doctrine of the Trinity, so he is calling us as a church to live as one. That's why Paul begins in those first seven verses with one faith, one Lord, one God who is Father of all, over all, and in all. One faith, one baptism. What is he telling us? Unity matters in the church. And the work of God always begins by building unity among the body, among those who are Christians, so that we can serve God in a way that correctly reflects who he is in the world today. So what we know to be true of God as Christians, we embrace that, not because we've got the, you know, the final number on it or not because we've got the fullest understanding of it, but we embrace it to live it out because we trust in God. That's faith. By faith, we live that out. You see, too often, grace is a concept that is confused with excusal or excuse. And the way the scriptures teaches grace to us is neither of those. The scriptures teach that grace is God's power put up on us and in us to live out what God says to us. I want you to think about this for a moment because this is what Paul is laying as a foundation. The first three chapters of the book of Ephesians, he lays down propositional truths for us to understand. But in chapter four, he turns and he says, okay, we've got all this understanding of God, of what we believe doctrinally to be true of him. But chapter four, he says this, now that you know what it is, or rather who it is that you are called to, I want you to live or to walk in a manner that is worthy of that calling, that is in accordance to the one who has called you. But I don't want you to do it in your own strength. I want you to understand why God has bestowed his grace upon you to do in you and through you what he has accomplished for you. That's the purpose of salvation, Christian. And listen, if you're, if you're here today and you're not a Christian, number one, I'm glad you're here. You are always welcome in our gatherings. But I want you to understand Christianity is not about understanding what God wants you to do and then going and figuring out how to do it. That's not Christianity, friends. Christianity tells us that by grace, through faith in Jesus Christ, God has done for us, period. It's over, finished. He's accomplished. He defeated the evil one. He has taken the enemy out. Now we are to live in the kingdom that he has ushered in. And that's what Paul is teaching us here, friends. Because some of you know what God's calling you to and you wonder, can I do that? Some of you know what God's word has said about some area of your life and you're, 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 you're anxious 
about what that might cause if you actually believe that to obey it. And I want to settle that anxiousness in you today. And I want to calm that uncertainty in you today by telling you that what God calls you to, he will accomplish in you as you follow him by faith because of grace put on you in Jesus Christ. And that's what I'm challenging us and hoping that we believe in today. Grace is God's power to fulfill what he has promised, to fulfill what Christ has accomplished, and to fulfill what the Spirit of God is leading you in. Friends, grace is not about getting out of anything. It is about being raised up to something that God has put on you, new life. And I want us to think according to God's word, correctly about the grace of God that has come to us through Jesus Christ. That grace that unites the church as one, Paul tells us, is measured and given to each one by Jesus. Now, let me, uh, let me give a little explanation why I skipped verses 8 through 10, okay? Uh, and I think you're going to be thankful for why I did when I finish explaining this. And hopefully you like the way I explain it. I know some of you will like the way I explain it. Verses 8 through 10 are some of the most controversial verses in all the scriptures. Controversial not because um, um, people disagree on what they mean, but because many scholars say it's very difficult to ascertain exactly what Paul is saying when he says this. And so uh, uh, instead of spending a lot of time talking about, well, this scholar said this and this scholar said this, what I want to do is I just kind of want to bring all the scholarship together. I don't like to do this too often because I don't like to make scholars feel bad about their work. But I want to bring it to a way that matters most for us into a very concise, simple format. It says that Jesus descended and ascended. When he was placed in the grave, he was busy even in his death for us. What was he doing? Well, Paul says very quickly that Jesus descended into the lower region where the enemy resided. And he said once and for all, you are conquered, you are defeated, you will stay where I put you. And there's nothing you can do about that. That's basically what Paul is saying. You see, the way he says it is... um, Probably the best way for me to explain that is to use a concept that I grew up uh, watching called Mid-South Wrestling. For those of you who aren't from the South, wrestling is the southern word for wrestling, okay? But it's spelled W-R-A-S-S-L-I-N-G, and elongated vowels in the midst of some of that, right? Wrestling. Mid-South Wrestling was the premier form of wrestling, with like the Junkyard Dog and Ted DiBiase and another notable uh, few that I I could mention here. But but wrestling in that sense uh, was kind of a mixture of of, um, acting and fighting, right? But it's the best entertainment you've ever seen in any of it, okay? But the reason I say that is to simply help you understand what Paul is saying to us here is that Christ went to a place that we could not go on our own, did something for us that we could not do on our own, in confronting one that we could not conquer in our own. He conquered him and he brought all the loot from his victory back with him and the gifts of grace are the bestowal of Jesus as king ruling and reigning upon his people. He's brought the booty to us from his victory. 
And I don't know why scholars are still arguing about this. It seems very simple to me. He won. And because he won, we live in the victory. Friends, what he's talking to us about when he appeals to us to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we have been called is to live in his victory and not trying to continue to get our own. That's what he's appealing to us about. And that's why he's given us grace to raise us up into victorious living in our life and to no longer be subject to the defeat of the evil one and the sin that rules and reigns so easily in this world. This is the aim of grace from God for you. And it's the reason that he has placed it upon each one of us. And he tells us in verse 7 that Christ has apportioned grace. In other words, not only on what you will receive, but the measure of grace with which you receive. For the measure of grace put on your life is given in perfect measured accordance with the Father who created you. This is so, so unique and and so perfect for us, friends, because we understand this, that God the Father in his triune nature is the one who created us. So whoever you are, the way God created you with your strengths and your weaknesses, with your abilities and skills and the things that you've advanced in and the experiences that you have gained. God created you to know him. But what Paul is teaching us is that he puts a measure of grace upon the creation that he made you in salvation. He puts a measure of his grace to gift you, not only to exist in the world that he created for his glory, but to labor for greater glory within that world. That's why grace has been put upon you. That is the purpose or the aim of God's grace. Grace that comes to us is apportioned on us by Jesus so that we can live and we can serve in his purposes. And grace that is bestowed on every believer is given as a gift. Now, you may be more familiar with the term spiritual gifts in this regard, and that would be okay. But the reason I want you to understand what spiritual gifts are is because I want you to understand where they originate and the very purpose for which God gives them to us. That's why I say you are charismaed for ministry. Charis is the Greek word for grace. And when God teaches us how we serve him among the church and why we serve him among the church, he helps us understand that it is a measure of his grace out of which we serve, not just a good, hearty, go get them, good effort by us. It's a demonstration of God among his people, friends. When a believer serves, it becomes a tangible expression of grace manifested for the body of Christ. Jesus' measured gift to you, Christian, is perfectly suited for you to serve so the whole body can grow and grow up. And what we see in the church is these spiritual gifts reveal the DNA of grace in the body of Christ For every believer serving is a tangible manifestation of grace that is creating a place for spiritual transformation to take hold in the life of each and every one that's present. Friends, 
If you're new here, I want you to know that it's okay that you don't know the vast majority of the people that will walk onto this campus today. But I want you to know every one of them that are a regular part of this church are essential for the health of what we are able to bless you with today and what you walk away with. Not one is immeasurable or unmatterable to us. Every one matters immensely to us because they matter to God. And I want you to know that in our work as a nation of priests, ambassadors for God, and you being with us today, we want you to be blessed by God's grace as well. And if you've not received it by faith for your own life, all of our labors, every tangible expression of a greeter at the front door, uh, someone that welcomes you in the hallway or, or sits beside you in church, I want you to know that tangible expression is an invitation to receive God's grace for your own life so you can live in it as well. The second conviction that we hold to is that there are five specific gifts that God gives to lead the church by. Five specific gifts are given in order that the body, the whole body, might be equipped in their service. I want to I identify these gifts and just kind of give you an idea of what each of them means. And then we'll spend the remainder of our time uh, talking about how they operate to equip the whole body. These gifts are this, the gift of the apostle, the gift of the prophet, the gift of evangelist, of shepherd, and of teacher. These are in verse 11 of chapter 4. Now, these are terms that are used in different ways throughout the Bible, and I'm going to talk a little bit about that because to get those wrong takes us completely off the tracks of where God would be leading us. But to dismiss them altogether would also be very wrong for us. I'm not talking about offices of church leadership here. I'm not talking about people who fulfill positions or assignments within the church. I'm talking about giftings, expressions of God's grace in the body of Christ that lead all of the serving through the body. The first gift is apostle. And I denote this by using a small a, not a capital A. I'm not talking about the role of apostle that we see in the New Testament of the disciples that became apostles. And apostles were specifically identified by three qualifying characteristics and for one general purpose. In other words, they spent time with the Lord Jesus when he walked on the earth and they were utilized strategically to found the church, to write the holy scriptures of the New Testament, but also to teach that clear doctrine initially. The apostolic gifting in the church today has a focus specifically on the church itself, uh, originating or establishing new churches, and then centering that church around the gospel of Jesus Christ. So you see this work uh, uh, greatly in uh, church planting, in the work of church planting. When, when a leader goes out to plant a new church, the church that sends that leader out is expressing a tangible nature of, of that apostolic gifting. You also see this, though, like we saw a few weeks back when we commissioned the Holdens, a young couple who is relocating to Peru. We sent them out as a church 
the body of Christ has a very real activity. And, and because of this apostolic gifting that's impulsing through the body of Christ, we're seeing that God is working through that gifting to call people to himself for very specific assignments. And so we as a church, we're blessed and privileged to send them out from among us that they might go and begin to do missionary work among people who are far from God and do not know, have not heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. There are many other ways that that gifting is expressed that I could talk about, but I just want to give an introduction to you. The second gift is what I call the prophetic gift. Now, again, I'm going to denote this with a small p and not a capital P. It's not an office. This is not the Old Testament prophet of which John the Baptist in the Gospels was the last in that line, okay? And what was his role but to point to the coming Messiah, the fulfillment of all of God's promises? But the prophet or the prophetic gift has an inclination or a focus on the word of God and the truth of his word in righteousness, there is a, a heralding proclamation of the prophetic gifting and it is sent out that the word of God is proclaimed to exhort the church to greater holiness and righteousness. And, and much as Paul is doing in his initial uh, verse here in chapter four, he's calling the church to live up to what God is living in us to make tangible and, and to manifest what God is working within us spiritually. Now, he, he, he does this because God speaks through him for, for strengthening the body of Christ, for encouraging the body of Christ as a whole, for comforting them and, and for building them up to help them accomplish, to help them uh, uh, run after or pursue what God has called them to in his word. And a major distinction is this, from prophets of old who began with, thus saith the Lord, when they spoke, they spoke for God. And most of their words became holy writ of the Old Testament or what we consider the Old Testament of our canon today, the Bible. Modern day prophetic gifting does not speak thus saith the Lord because the canon, hear me, is closed. We're not still writing the Bible today. God has spoken his better word. It's his last word and it's this, Jesus we don't need a better word because we couldn't get a better word. There is not a better word than Jesus. What we need is more of the final word in Jesus. And so we're not writing holy writ. We're not foretelling, but rather the prophetic gifting among the church is forthtelling, declaring what God has revealed to us in the canon of scriptures, how to understand it, what it says to us and how it leads us. That brings us to the third gifting, the gifting of the evangelist or the evangelistic gifting. And this individual is extra gifted to share a redemptive message of the gospel that holds like a gifted appeal to people. The evangelist spends time with people who are far from God and has conversations with them that, that specifically, as I've seen it manifested in my own life, with others around me. I do not consider this to be one of my stronger gifts whatsoever. But I've had friends who were strong and they can talk to other people about God at any moment and in any way and it's as smooth and before anybody knows that all of a sudden we're at the heart of the gospel and we're all praying for somebody to be saved. 
I mean, they're just, they have a gift with people. And when they're with people, people want to hear more of what they're saying. Now, let me qualify this. This is not to exclude anyone from the requirement or from the mandate to evangelize. Every Christian has the command to share the gospel as a faithful witness. But I'm talking about a gift by which the church is led. There are some of you among us who bear this gift. And our church is immensely blessed because of you. You have the innate capacity to gather people into this work. I have a friend who's a a pastor, and he is a phenomenal gatherer, but the first thing he'll tell you is, I have no idea what to do when they get together. I just know how to get them here, (laughs) you know? And, and, And we joke about that. But, but he has a gifting more naturally inclined than I do in, in, in my own gifting. And, 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 and we, we kind of play off of each other in that way. For our church, there's got to be those who express this gifting in a leading manner. Because this, as ambassadors, we are led and reminded of our own responsibility to go and to share the gospel with all people. Paul tells Timothy when he left him in Ephesus, do the work of an evangelist. He had done the apostolic work of establishing the church and now the church needed to be gathered as it was grown and strengthened. The fourth uh, gifting is that of shepherd. The shepherd is concerned with godly leadership, with the care and the growth of people, with, with the guarding of the flock through the teaching of sound doctrine. And shepherd and teacher, the fifth gift, often go very closely together. As a matter of fact, the way Paul wrote this, it's almost impossible to delineate or to divide shepherd and teacher because the shepherd's work is teaching and the teacher's work is shepherding. Because the teaching gift, friends, is a gift that explains the word not only for clarity, but for embracing. That the teacher is always inclined to continue illustrating and making a point so that people not only understand what is being said, but so that they embrace it. And the shepherd gifting comes along that to find out where it is that people are struggling to believe the word, where it is that they don't fully understand what God has said. And so these two giftings are working together in the working in of God's word so that it can be worked out from Christians. And that's what he's wanting us to do here and teaching us about these five gifts. These leading gifts are purposed for this purpose, Paul says, to equip the body. Verses 12, he says that that he gave some to be apostles and prophets and evangelists and shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. So, So these are gifts that equip us. And so I want you, as you hear this, not to ask which one of these do I have as much as this. This should be the first guiding question. Which of these am I most led by? And am I being equipped by all of them in some measure, in some manner, to live out of my own life? You see, friends, if you want to be led by grace, you must engage with grace in your own life. Not only to serve in the church, that's one expression, but rather to serve as the church no matter where you are or whom you're with. And that's the critical part of this. Whatever grace Jesus has apportioned to you and in whatever measure he's placed it on you, his intent is that in serving, you'll be led to live as the church for his kingdom in the world. That's the first two convictions. The third conviction is this, growing from this, that the body is built as each one serves for the growth of all. 
verses 12, about halfway through through 15. The church is equipped to do the work of ministry, and then he tells why we do the work of ministry. The whole church serves to do the work so that the whole body can be built up. Listen, every Christian is gifted with grace and equipped by these leading gifts to serve among the body and as the body in order for the body to be built up. Each person serving creates what I'd call a cumulative effect or a greenhouse effect. We create and build a culture within which others are influenced by that. And so as each person serves, there is a, this greenhouse effect or this culture that creates an environment to maximize the potency that each one would experience when they come into it. I talked last week about how it is that when someone comes into this room at one of our gathering hours, and if it's their first time to come into this room, here's the first defining thought they have. I'm the only new person here. Everybody else has been here because I don't know any of them. And I'm the only new one here. They feel isolated. Should I be here? Should I not? Hence the reason we pound on hospitality. We pound away. Let's be warm and welcoming. Why? Because God is that way with us. And we would never want someone to walk away going, you know what? They didn't welcome me. And what he's saying is that when we serve, whatever area it is, whether we're at the front door or the back door, greeting people, holding the door open for them, or whether we're, we're doing uh, uh, labors in the community room, fixing coffee or handing out uh, worship guides, or whether we're welcoming one another or setting, the, setting up the baptistry, whatever it is, it doesn't matter. But all of our service combined, the cumulative effect of that is that it creates an environment where people can come in and they can sense a welcoming spirit among other people and listen I'm going to appeal to some of my southern roots here you smell it before you see it am I right you know it so often before you are a direct recipient of it am I right I mean I don't get to go to other churches very often but when I do I'm on the hunt I'm looking for what they do. And listen, if I get ignored, I feel it. Not as a pastor looking for it, but as a person wondering if this church cares about me at all. I never, ever want to be a church of which it can be said they don't care anything about me. And I want every evidence of the way we operate to say quite the opposite. We care immensely about who you are because God cares immensely about who he created you to be. That's what the body is all about. When the church is equipped and all served as they're gifted, all can mature into Christ-likeness. That, that's the cumulative effect that we have here, friends. That, that this growing understanding of what Jesus has done for us, it's the core of our faith. It is the catalyst for our ministry as Christians. But knowledge is only the beginning, not the end. Our knowledge must become practice. It must become real-time obedience for us. And maturity occurs in our own life when our knowledge of Jesus grows to produce a faith-fueled obedience unto him. What you know matters little until it becomes obedience in your life by faith. And I know some of you are struggling even today 
you know something that God has said to you that's confronting you at some point in your life and you're wondering if he's worthy of your trust fully in that area. Or if you need to find some measured trust between here and what he's calling you to do and you go, you know what, God, you're calling me to take three steps. Uh, I'll take one and see what you've got. And God said, that's good, great for you. That's what you can do. I called you to take three, not one. And the life of a believer is all about submitting to the full lordship of Jesus Christ, not some measure of it that, he want, or that we think is better than he has given to us. And that's the reason he's put grace upon us. Because what he wants to do in us and through us is not about just what we can do or even what we think we can do. It's about what he is calling us to, to walk in a manner worthy of the salvation that he's put upon us. God didn't give you half a life. God gave you eternal life. And every command, every encouragement, every exhortation to walk with him is an exhortation to walk in the life that he has given to you, friends. And serving in the church and being served by the church is a matter of helping you walk it out. Figure it out so you can walk in him. Here's what he says, that Jesus is the standard and the goal for every Christian. He wants us to serve until all reach unity of the faith, until we grow up into him who is our head to full maturity. And here's how he defines full maturity. To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Mind blown. I can tell you this, it's job security. We're not there yet. And one or two of you may be, but the rest of us aren't. And what Paul says is we all serve until we've all grown up. Because it's not about any individual. It's about the whole It's about the whole and what Jesus is doing. And that's why we serve. When the church is equipped and serve, that maturity produces steadfastness in Christ. Have you ever known someone in their faith that's just like an anchor for your life? That when when the storms of life blow, you can run to them and and they can give you counsel and, and encouragement and they can help you know how to clarify through some of the clutter that life's throwing at you. I want you to know it's God's will for every Christian to be that kind of anchor in the life of each other. Yeah, so that as we mature, we're not blown by every wind of false teaching. Every trendy fad that is conjured up, we don't go, hey, that's a great idea, let's do that. Every little teaching that holds an ounce of truth and a gallon of hoopty is not what we run. You see, what he says is that, that you won't be tricked by cunning devices, by, by thinking that moves away from Christ instead of towards it, that subjects something instead of Christ instead of trusting in him that you won't just follow trendy fads because that's what everybody else is doing and you jump in and the current just pushes you that way or you won't be tricked by things that really have nothing to do with God but that people are putting his name on them and claiming that they are for God when you mature you see these things you know these things and you can say no to these things because you're saying yes to the one that really matters 
for you. When the church is equipped and all serve, the gospel becomes a defining conversation by which we bless one another to grow up. Speaking the truth in love. You see, sometimes we just go, well, I got to say something really hard to this person. I need to figure out how to say it so they don't hate me afterwards. That, that's not speaking the truth in love as Paul is talking about here. Speaking the truth in love is this. It is conjuring up and massaging in what God has already done for you, what Christ has put on you, and what he's wanting to do through you. It's looking at you and saying, you know what? You know what God's calling you to. How can I encourage you? How can I help you? How can I walk with you in this? How can we serve Christ together in faithfulness in this manner? And bringing one another to that. Well, the fourth conviction, and I'll be quick on this. Verse 16, we need to realize this, that the body is built as Jesus works through the body, working together. You know, uh, 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 more and more what I'm coming to hear about, and I am not a medical physician, so you'll learn that quickly when I explain this. But medicine is taking the body itself and utilizing it strategically to help the body heal itself. Instead of being more invasive, it's less invasive. But it's taking from the body to heal the body. I love that idea because as we see that, played out in the medical field we see what God's already got planned and orchestrated among his body that that he wants to take what is from us so that he can apply it within us and strengthen and grow all of us look around friends as the body of Christ these are the people that God intends for your life to grow and mature you and through your service to grow and mature them That's what Paul is teaching us here. And when the church grows and each part is working properly, every part grows. And listen to this. When we serve, God builds. And when God builds, we grow. That's what we want. Let us never be mindful that what's taking place is because of us. Let us ever be mindful that all that is taking place is because of Jesus. And hear me. Every evidence of grace that is tangible and manifested among us, let us give praise and honor and glory to him because we may not see it at the moment, but I'm telling you, he's taken that part of the body and he's growing and maturing another part of the body. And all of us are blessed in the midst of his work for growing us. Let's pray together.